I'm Gary and this is episode 78 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at battery degradation. What is it? What causes it? Before we start, I wanted to remind Patreon subscribers that we have a post-credit sequence on this episode. This week we're having a quick discussion about the new Osprey subscription service. If you're subscribed at the all-access or VIP level, stay on after the music and listen to that. Our main topic of discussion today is battery degradation. Cast your mind back a year or so before all this COVID madness. Our uh, good friends at Top Gear had an episode in which they had use of a Nissan Leaf as one of their three cars the presenters could use for whatever harebrained challenge they were doing that week. At the end of the episode, Chris Harris turned to the camera and said the Nissan Leaf would only do about 30 miles on a full charge. What outrage! Even the smallest battery Leaf would get around 80 miles from a charge with a 24 kilowatt hour battery, right? Right. Except when it's not right. You see, what Mr. Harris was referring to is a phenomenon known as battery degradation. It's what happens to a battery when it's been used or cycled many, many times. Whether we know it or not, we've all been subject to battery degradation before. Remember when you got your first smartphone? It ran on a full charge for a day or two, or maybe even three if you were really careful with how much you used it. But over time, it started to need charging more and more frequently. Nowadays, that same phone will barely last about, what, eight hours before you need to go suckling at the teat of the electricity cow to recharge. That's battery degradation. I don't know about other smartphones, I'm sure they have something similar, but if you head into your settings on an iPhone, click the link for battery and and select the option for battery health, you'll find an entry in there called maximum capacity. What that's indicating is how much of the battery is actually being used when the display says 100%. If it's below 100%, you have battery degradation. For those who are wondering, my iPhone 6S is now at 85% maximum capacity. That means when the charge indicator is saying 100%, it's actually only 85% charged. The rest is a degradation of the battery. So why is degradation a problem? Simply put, it means that if you don't look after your battery, the distance you can travel on a full charge will slowly erode over time. And that's one of the reasons why the Top Gear Nissan Leaf now only went for 30 miles on a charge. The battery had degraded to such an extent that it was now at something like 50% of the original capacity. But this is a disaster, I hear you say. Why would I want a car that loses 50% of its range over time? Well, the good news is that the Nissan Leaf on Top Gear was an exception. It was a Gen 1 Leaf made in Japan and they had a number of issues with their batteries which made them degrade quickly and we'll talk about those later. But regardless of that, batteries in general will suffer from degradation over their lifetime. The key issue is to limit the amount of degradation and make sure you don't lose too much range. So, what are the causes of degradation? As a rule of thumb, a battery will degrade when it's working outside its nominal operating parameters. This means it's been used heavily, either charging or discharging, working in temperature extremes, too hot or too cold, or being kept fully charged when not needed. So let's look at these in turn. Operating outside of the normal operating parameters. A battery of any kind is very susceptible to changes in temperature. Every battery has what they call a nominal operating temperature. If you run it at a higher temp than that, or a lower temp than that, 
it could potentially cause issues. And many, many years ago, when the world was in black and white, I had one of the earlier compact laptop computers for work. I inadvertently left it out overnight in my car in the middle of winter. The next morning, I headed into work, flipped the lid up and hit the power button. And the screen barely flicked on and the computer took forever to boot up. So I went to see the grand old IT guy in the company, a genial guy who looked a bit like Brian Dennehy. And he asked me if the laptop had been left in the cold at all. And when I said yes, he took the battery out of the machine, placed it on a radiator for 10 minutes. When he put it back inside, the computer acted like there was no issue. Internally, a battery consists more or less of three components, an anode, a cathode, and an electrolyte. The electrolyte is a substance through which the electrons pass on their way from the anode to the cathode or vice versa. If this electrolyte gets too cold and freezes, for want of a better word, it will alter the power characteristics of the battery. And if this happens enough time, the changes can be permanent. The same happens with heat. Ironically, one of the best ways to increase the speed of a battery charge is to heat the battery to an optimal operating temperature. This is why trying to charge your car first thing in the morning when the battery is cold will leave you looking at slower charging speeds. But excess heat in a battery will degrade the performance. Battery electrochemist Dr Ewan McTurk mentioned this when we talked to him in episode 61. That's one consideration. There's also the heat that is evolved in the cell. Uh, the heat obviously will degrade that cell if it's not extracted quickly. There were some interesting studies recently that showed that you are you can actually allow a lithium-ion cell to get really hot during rapid charging as long as you then immediately extract the heat from it afterwards. Now, surface cooling alone is not ideal for that because you're only cooling the surface. If you have a cylindrical cell, we have found with our studies on Tesla-style Panasonic 18650 cells that even just after a 1C discharge, in other words, the current required to discharge the cell within one hour. So for a 3.2 amp per hour cell, it's a 3.2 amp current, 1C. Anywho, um, by the time you'd fully discharged it, the core temperature through these fancy instruments that we put into these cells was 5 degrees C higher than the surface temperature. And that thermal gradient from the core to the surface means there's going to be uneven wear, uneven degradation on the cell. You don't want that. Two factors play into managing this. One is a temperature management system and the other is a battery management system or BMS. A temperature management system is, an, is any set of technology which can be implemented to keep a battery within the optimal temperature range. It can be as simple as a cooling fan that either draws hot air away from the battery or alternatively blows cool air onto the battery if it's too warm. And most EVs have some sort of temperature management system or thermal management on their batteries to manage the heat from usage or charging. Notable exceptions are cars such as the Nissan Leaf and the Volkswagen e-Golf. And both of these will suffer from excessive heat while charging. The BMS or battery management system is a piece of software which controls the rate at which the battery is charging. We've talked before on this podcast about charge curves. These are profiles which dictate the rate at which a battery will charge under ideal conditions. The charge curve will indicate, for example, that a car can charge at its maximum charge speed under ideal conditions up to about 50%, then drop down to a lower speed for the next 15%, then another drop to a lower speed until 80%, and then a tail off after that until at 99% it's usually charging at a really, really low speed. And this is one reason why rapid or ultra high power charging should only really be done to around 80 or 85%. After that, it's almost as quick to finish charging with an AC fast charger. 
but it's all in service of keeping the battery in tip-top shape. The BMS also controls things such as the top and bottom buffer. Whenever we talk about battery capacity on this podcast, we're generally referring to the usable capacity of the battery. And this is different to the actual capacity of the battery. And the difference is known as the top and or bottom buffer. Because of the way lithium-ion batteries work in particular, if you run them until they're completely empty, it's very, very difficult to recharge them again. Once they're empty, they're empty and dead. So to stop that, the BMS will define a buffer at the bottom end below which it will not discharge. So if you're driving and the little turtle mode comes on indicating that you're low on battery, your BMS will tell you you're down to the bottom, I don't know, 2 or 3%. Whereas in reality, there may be another 5% below that into which you can never gain access. And it's there to stop you screwing up your battery completely if you run out of charge. Similarly, at the top end, there's a buffer which is there to allow some battery degradation without loss of range. If there's a 5% capacity at the top, the BMS will slowly release this when your battery starts to degrade to allow you to continue travelling at the maximum range as long as possible. The one big difference between cell phone batteries, laptop batteries and other consumer electronic batteries and EV batteries is that even though they're using the same underlying hardware, they don't have a BMS or thermal management setup that the EV has. And this means the batteries will last a lot longer in an EV than they will if they're in your phone. The next thing that degrades a battery is fully charging it and not using it. The jury's still out about the maximum state of charge to which you should charge a battery. Should you always charge to 100%? Should you back off to say 80%? But what is certain is that if you do charge to 100%, it's a good idea to use your car fairly shortly after that to reduce degradation. Staying at 100% charge without running your car anywhere is a recipe for quicker battery deg. Finally, in this section, you will probably have heard Robert Llewellyn talking on Fully Charged about the Tesla Million Mile Battery. This doesn't actually mean the battery will do a million miles and then stop functioning. What it means is that it's designed to allow sufficient cycles of charging and discharging to allow it to travel a million miles. And this brings us to the topic of battery cycles. Most batteries are designed to operate within a predefined number of cycles and keep their state of charge held. A cycle is defined as charging and discharging a battery within the range of the buffer we mentioned earlier. And a typical EV battery will cycle, well, you know, 5,000 times. So if you're running your car from full to empty every day of the week, it should last around 15 years before there's any noticeable drop on state of charge. And by noticeable, I'm talking, you know, down to below 70%. Even then, the battery will still be good to go for another large number of cycles. Most car batteries are warranted for at least 100,000 miles down to 70% state of charge. And this means they'll run 100,000 miles and still be able to reach 70% of their original range when fully charged. And this is the point at which an EV battery below that can be replaced and the old battery is usually put into second life applications such as battery storage. The recently announced million mile battery will cycle anything up to 15,000 times, which is just amazing. But regardless of how many cycles you have in a battery, the physical act of charging and recharging or cycling the battery will wear it down. Just think of it as the same as running uh, you know, a car tyre. No matter how hard or soft the tyre is, the mere fact you're moving a heavy car on a surface 
will cause wear, and over time it will need replacing. Don't fret though, internal combustion engines are the same. That's why a modern day Vauxhall Astra can out-accelerate an older Ferrari or Aston Martin, because those older cars have lost power through wear and tear. It's also why ICE cars need things like new clutches and similar things every few years. So how do you measure degradation in your battery? It's a simple, but also reasonably complicated process. Basically, you charge your car up, run it for a set distance, then charge it again. If you know the efficiency of the battery and the percentage of the charge you've used, you can work out what the full total capacity of your battery is. It goes like this. Suppose you're running a 40 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf. The battery has 36 kilowatt hours usable. You charge it to 100%. In theory, that's 36 kilowatt hours maximum. You can use something like Leaf Spy and peep into the OBD connector and check the actual state of charge of your battery. You then run it for 100 miles. Note the change in the state of charge of the battery. You also note the average efficiency of the run. We discussed efficiency in the previous episode. Then you charge the battery back up to 100% and note how much energy it took to do this. Then it's just a matter of running the maths to work out what the capacity is. If you use 52% of your battery to do the 100 miles and the efficiency was 322 watt hours per mile, 3.1 miles per kilowatt hour, and it took 18 kilowatt hours of energy to charge it back to 100%, you calculate the full battery as being 18,000 divided by 48, so that's 18 kilowatt hours divided by 48%, multiplied by 52%, which is the remaining percentage, which is 34,615 watt hours, which is 34.6 kilowatt hours. And that means 34.6 matched up against 36 kilowatt hours means you've lost the best part of 2% of your battery. That's an approximate calculation, obviously. So how do we reduce the level of degradation in batteries? Or more specifically, how do we keep our batteries at maximum capacity for as long as possible? The majority of the answer comes down to how and where you charge your battery. Using a rapid or high power charger will affect your battery degradation. And that's because it heats the battery up, which we've already identified as being an issue, unless you can remove the heat quickly. Now don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with rapid charging your EV. But if you're only rapid charging and you're doing it several times a day, every day, in a car that doesn't have great temperature management, thermal management, you are going to degrade your battery. So the first thing is to limit the use of rapid chargers where possible. Note that even Teslas are not immune to this. Bjorn Nyland, Tesla owner and vlogger, has had charge speeds on all his Teslas limited above a certain number of supercharges to help protect the battery. It happens. Secondly, ensure you only charge to 100% when you absolutely need to. Once it's at 100%, try and use the car shortly afterwards and reduce the state of charge. Dr. McTurk has an excellent video on his YouTube channel which discusses how much to charge your vehicle if you're in, say, a lockdown scenario and can't use it. The TLDR, too long didn't read, is that keep it anywhere between 50% and 80% state of charge. Any lower than 50% and you risk not having enough charge if you need to leave in an emergency. Any higher than 80% and you risk damaging the battery if it's left there for a prolonged period of time. If you're using your car regularly, i.e. if you're a key worker like me and you can help four or five times a week, charging to 100% isn't an issue as you're using the car constantly and reducing the state of charge. Thirdly, ensure you have a good temperature management system, good thermal management. We've all heard of rapid gate. And this was the phenomena where the 40 kilowatt hour Nissan Leafs would throttle charging 
after a couple of rapids, thus causing long-distance travel to be problematic. The reason they did this is because they have no thermal management on the batteries. And in order to compensate for this, the BMS, the battery management system, was designed to monitor the temperature and when it went above a set level, it would dial back the power coming in from the charger to reduce the heat overload. This was Nissan's way of reducing battery degradation in the absence of thermal management. It meant that a car you would expect to charge at 46 kilowatt on a 50 kilowatt rapid was only getting 22 kilowatt maximum, and that was almost doubling the time standing at chargers. As I mentioned earlier, most EVs have some sort of thermal management for the battery. The Leaf and the Golf are two examples of cars which don't. The easiest way to tell is to plug your car into a rapid charger and listen for any inbuilt fans to come on under the car. If you've got these, chances are you've got some sort of thermal management. The key thing to remember about battery degradation is that it's a common thing with batteries. Regardless of how well you look after your EV, you're going to end up with some sort of degradation. The only question you need to answer is how much over what period? If we look back to Chris Harris and the 30 mile Nissan Leaf, the battery degradation on that vehicle was quite severe. It was a what they call a Gen 1 Leaf first generation, which had a different battery chemistry to later versions. And that battery chemistry was susceptible to degradation due to heat. And this was changed in later models where the chemistry was different and the BMS managed the thermal issue to some extent. Issues such as this are now few and far between on EVs and you can feel confident that providing you treat your battery well, it will last for the extent of the battery warranty and beyond. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. You may have heard recently that BP Pulse has entered into an agreement with a company called Freewire to use their technology on their charging network. But what exactly is their technology and why are BP Pulse interested in it? Well, it's actually a fascinating bit of technology called a boost charger. For all intents and purposes, it looks and acts pretty much like a standard high power charger. It can charge at 120 kilowatts, which beats the vast majority of the chargers being used by CPOs today. It accepts contactless payments and RFID cards, and it can charge two vehicles simultaneously. But what sets it apart from other chargers is that it runs off the equivalent of a standard three-phase electrical source. The way it does this is by using a 160 kilowatt hour battery built into the device. This means it can be charging all day and all night on the three-phase while people are pulling charge from the battery to fill their vehicles. Remember, BP Pulse get their electricity from Octopus Energy, who run cheap overnight charging tariffs. So BP Pulse could, in theory, replenish their boost charge units at a cheaper rate overnight, ready to be used during the day. Even if they don't get the cheaper rates, which Tom Callow said they don't when we interviewed him from the podcast recently, they can still help to balance the grid by charging overnight rather than at peak times when the base load is high. The boost charger units are CCS and CHAdeMO compatible and, as already mentioned, can charge two vehicles at the same time to a maximum of 60 kilowatts per vehicle. By itself, the unit will charge CCS to 120 kilowatts and CHAdeMO to 100 kilowatts. I imagine BP Pulse have gone for these in a big way because the installation process will be much easier than their existing 150 kilowatt chargers as they can use a more or less standard three-phase supply rather than having to install additional power at an existing site. This will reduce costs and speed up the rollout process. One of the benefits of this sort of charger is that it will make the economies of where to install chargers a little different. 
perhaps we'll start to see installs in places where a 150 kilowatt or even a 50 kilowatt charger might not have been economically viable. I'm looking at you, Mid Wales. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. All access and VIP patrons, please stay tuned for some post-credits goodness where we're talking about Osprey charging and their new subscription service. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com or use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV. If you want to support the podcast and the newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library, please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, his wife's a great cook, but she does like to serve food straight out of the oven. He says he's trying to find a way to drop the temperature a bit before she serves him. I suggested just blowing cool air over the food, but he wasn't having any of that. Now, surface cooling alone is not ideal for that because you're only cooling the surface. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.